0: Kia ora, Koto, everyone, it is Monday, it is July, we're still in 2020, God forbid, um, and I'm here, I'm very, very, very lucky to be here with the lovely Dr. Susie Wiles, um, microbiologist, infectious diseases and bioluminescence specialist, I wish I could put that on my <laughs> job description, um, and mum to her, is she 13, 14?
1: 30, almost 14 well, yeah it's
0: very important that i get that right because um i remember it being very important when i was 13/14 slash um i always ask i always start this podcast by asking how are you and then how are you <laughs> i'm well thank you <laughs> <laughs> and everyone does that
1: <laughs> yeah i'm i'm pretty shattered um it's oh, gosh what a year um i'm uh, yeah i'm physically mentally emotionally very tired yeah and yeah. in desperate need of a bit of a holiday so um i'm actually <laughs> i've been instructed to take some time off so oh, um because it's the school holidays and we're heading off for a phase uh um, on
0: wednesday so well well done yeah. you um just gonna grab <laughs> grab my child's small bottle of water here. Um, but I just wanted, I just firstly wanted to say, um, well, well, bloody done. Um, I think you're amazing, and there are millions and millions and millions of people out there who also think you're amazing. And the we we won't dwell on the horribleness that's been going on. But I just wanted to say that that should shouldn't happen. And it let's put it over there because you know whatever Um, Mm. but also like we're just we're so thankful that well I'm from the UK so I'm so thankful that I'm here Um, Mm. you know with what what's going on over there Um, but I asked I asked lots of people um, before I was doing this about what they wanted to ask you and lots of the stuff was around was around women in science and how um, just how one about the way that you've made science Easy for people to understand, which I think when I, I remember showing my mom those cartoons way back, and she's like in the UK, and she's like, why why can't they do that here? What? <laughs> because it was really complicated, and and I and I've read some stuff about. So I I've, I'll set the scene. I first saw you in te- at TEDx Auckland um, when you did your LEGO speech. And I and I I nudged my husband at the side of me and said, "Who is that woman?" And then obviously you've you've kind of come to the forefront with what's been going on. Um, so why why is it important for you for science to do that when you could just you could just sit in your lab and not talk to anyone? Yeah. So
1: um, oh gosh. Okay. So what really started it um, was. 15 years ago now, um, so I was in the UK working at Imperial College London and I won an award for my research um, and it was quite a big deal, uh, it was the first um, of, a, of this sort of new series uh, um, and it was about the ethical use of animals in research. And I had won the award um, for the sort of stuff that I do that tries to use animals more humanely um, and to use less of them. And uh so i won this award um and the uh the organization is called the nc3rs the national center for the replacement refinement and reduction of animals and research Um, and they wanted to go public and so i completely freaked out (laughs) i was like i mean you have to put this in context so at the time in the uk um there were uh the um vivis- vivisectionists were very very active they were um there was a small group of them that were um uh, for example uh, they dug up the body of uh the relative of somebody of a someone who ran a company breeding guinea pigs, I think, for research. Um, there were all sorts of threats on people's lives. So I was completely freaked out. But they said it was really important for the public to understand that, you know, that research did happen, that scientists weren't ashamed of it, um, and that they were going to huge efforts to try and you know, use animals more humanely and stuff. So it was a, it was a, I had a responsibility to stand up and talk about what I did, especially given that it was funded by a taxpayer. So they got me some media training. Um, And then they announced the award and nothing happened. (laughs) There was like a really small um, and I, you know, I had like a day of intensive media training with a BBC journalist. It was absolutely terrifying. Um, And then nothing happened. There was just a small little write up of it in the Times newspaper. And you were um, like, come at me, I'm ready. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I'm like, I'm ready. uh although it was funny because the Times the, the um the journalist who did the training was like, You're gonna be great on radio. Would not recommend you do any live TV because every time you ask me a question like a, a really hard question, I just completely froze. Anyway, so um that that happened uh and they were like, Okay, well let's get you um oh sorry, we're being invaded by a cat. Don't know.
0: worry we've got cats knocking <laughs> over <the> screen or, <laughs> fine, I don't mind.
1: Um, so uh yeah, so anyway, um oh, and here she comes. Um Thank you. Say hi, <laughs> I love it. So anyway, after, after nothing happened, the organization said, um, let's get you starting to talk about your research. Um, and they started putting me in front of uh, school kids. So going to schools and talking about the use of animals in science and what I did in my lab and stuff. Um, so fast forward five years uh, or four or four years, uh, 2009, I moved to New Zealand um, and I kind of arrived with a, okay, what, what's like, what can I do here? <laughs> um, and um, so I actually got in touch with uh, an organization, I thought, or um, like a center, I think maybe based out of Massey, that I thought would be really excited about me arriving and keen to help me communicate, you know, this sort of stuff that I'd been doing in in the UK. Um, But they weren't so keen. They never really got back to me. So I just thought, okay, well, what can I start to do? Um, And then I was basically, this is so funny, The I don't know what she's doing, I can just see her (laughs) doing something behind me. Anyway, sorry. So um, the basically I wanted to kind of upskill in the kind of communication things because it was still very important to me. Um, and so I started blogging. And so the um, Science Media Center runs uh, this um, blogging platform called SciBlogs. And I guess sort of 10 years ago, blogging was a much bigger thing than it is now. Um, and so I started uh, blogging. I started writing about um, so about my research, about kind of microbiology in general, um, all sorts of things really, a little bit about sort of pseudoscience and stuff. Uh, and so that was really about learning how to write kind of more succinctly, less jargony, that kind of thing. Um, and then in about 2010, 2011, there was a big outbreak of, uh, this food poisoning and um, bacterial E. coli uh, in Germany. It was a huge deal. It was like the biggest outbreak, um, of this, uh, this bacteria, uh, and, um, and it was very scary because people didn't know where it was coming from. And it was like, uh, it, cause it's food based. It was like, it was, it was it the German, no, no, was it Spanish cucumbers or something anyway. So I was writing about this because E. coli is one of the bacteria that I had, um, worked on for my postdoc in London. And, um, And then after what felt like weeks, maybe a Kiwi finally got it or something, because then it suddenly became news in New Zealand. And when the Science Media Centre were asked for somebody who could comment on it, they were like, oh, Susie Wiles has been writing about this for weeks. And so the first media I ended up doing was a live interview. um, So I guess in about 2010, uh, on, on the C. coli. And then I just, basically started doing kind of more and more so every time there was a microbiology story in the news I was one of the people who got asked to explain it and I was still doing you know talks in schools and various things um I then a few years later ended up making some animations with somebody about science Uh, I've done kind of art things so I just sort of kept up like okay let's you know let's um try and learn to communicate in a different way like i took to twitter because that was like all right let's see if we can communicate science in what was 140 characters and now you know 280 and so it's just been a real i feel like i've had 10 years of training for this pandemic like not only is this my area of expertise but I have spent 10 years, you know, making relationships with journalists, learning how the media work and the kind of time frame that they work on. Um, and, uh, and then learning how to work with artists and illustrators and stuff. And so, yeah, this pandemic then came along and I kind of had all the right skills, I guess yeah. that were needed. Yeah. And it's been an absolute privilege to be yeah. able to step up and say, what can I do? And that became really clear in, so in mid January, um, you know, when the when the first the world was first becoming aware of this, you know, I got my first calls from media going, "There's this weird thing. Can you, you know, tell us about it?" Um and it was about by some time in February that I realized I was actually like this was so big I was gonna have to just put my my job aside to focus on being able to try and keep up with all the yeah. things. Yeah. And yeah. then yeah, and about March I guess was when um Toby Morris and I um started working on the graphics together. So yeah. it's just been this complete roller coaster that was kind of right right place, right time,
0: right skill set. You know, like when people don't feel in control of something that they don't understand and, and, you know, people will still create things about, you know, like, oh, it's not true and it's not going to happen to us and all that stuff. But the more people feel in control, the better everybody is. Right. So that whole thing, that, that that series of of amazing cartoons you did with Toby just like instantly everybody just started sharing it and then going, I get it. All right. I don't know the in-depth, ins and outs of microbiology but I actually don't need to what I need to know is it's really bloody scary we need to do something really quickly and holy shit look how quickly it moves so yeah you're always going to get a raft of people who go it's not going to hurt me
1: (laughs) yeah and I just think um you know I Toby is amazing and his you know he's a very visual person yeah um i've admired his work for a long time um and so when um so i'd been writing for the spinoff already for a while yeah, um yeah. And when, the, when the flatten the curve graph started going around i was like okay this is the, the big thing i should write about this um and i said to uh, our editor toby manhire hey um I need a graphic for this thing that I want to write about. Do you think Toby Morris would be interested? And somehow, like we'd never met before. I mean, obviously at that time we were, you know, heading into lockdown. We didn't physically meet. We just spoke on the phone and did some Zooms. And um, But somehow we just instantly clicked and um, and he just completely got, I guess, what, what needed to be conveyed and the way to do it. It was just magical, actually it magical. magical. I'm sorry. It
0: was completely so magical. magical. That is such a good way of, I showed it my mom and she's like,
1: I totally get it. <laughs> and it was like, yeah. And that's what it really needed, right? It really needed somebody who um, their mode of communication is is visual that's yeah. what they know how you know absolutely gets how to get a message across and it was just my job to say okay this is the message we need to get across <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know what how can you do that and some things we worked on like I had a, "Oh, i I've got it in my head this is what it looks like and other things would be here I, I've written the paragraph or here are my main points and he would go right I'm gonna think about how to visualize this and it just sort of depended on
0: what you know what we were working on but um, totally. yes yeah, just Absolutely amazing it was and and you know I started doing this podcast about I think it was week one of lockdown and I interviewed mums all around the world and then it went into kind of women around the world and and you know it's still going on and, it, and people are obviously in different stages and states of what where they're at but the biggest mm. thing was communication and I'd speak to people in America and they'd be like I have no frigging idea what's going on. Uh, one day I'm told yeah. this thing, and then this thing, and then all the people in New Zealand were told were like, "I know I can't do this and that," and that's it. That's it. <laughs> just just stay in. It's flipping awful, and we're all bored, and we're all wanting to throw our partners out the window. And you know, I can't do any more craft with my toddler. But you you know <laughs> that you just stay in and you don't go anywhere else, and that's it. And it was so clear and perfect. And I know that you know we, we it's it's not over it's so not over but it, that moment i think was just like you say it was magic it just went a b c equals whatever um yeah i i love how online it says ebola sparked your enthusiasm like wh- who else <laughs> would ever say that <laughs> well it's oh gosh it's
1: it's really tricky right because i um so i have a deep admiration for microbes. I'm just, I, I'm in awe of them, right? I mean, I, so yes, Ebola was one of the ones that sparked my interest because I was just blown away by how this little creature, you know, when it gets inside of your body, you can just do this amazing stuff, this ma- amazing but awful stuff. And um, The same with, uh, you know, bacteria like the one that causes tuberculosis, the ones yeah. that cause plague, um, and at the time, well, and, and up until six months ago, seven months ago, you know, when I, whenever I've given talks, what I've always said is, you know, that I'm fascinated by these creatures. I'm interested in how they do what they do and that they, you know, have kind of altered the course of our history. And nobody really got that, I think, until yeah. the pandemic. And everyone's like, oh, oh yeah, OK, yeah. we see how they can so utterly disrupt us. Yeah. And yeah. so I feel like... Moving forward, I'm never really going to have to give the hard sell for why it's important that we understand infectious yeah, diseases yeah, 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 anymore. Yeah, because yeah. we're living through it. And the really unfortunate thing, I guess, is that um, what we're seeing is a, you know, we've, we've seen a massive move away from research, you know, fundamental research into infectious diseases um, as people live longer and so you know the focus in in uh, in lots of countries is cancer and heart disease and stuff yeah um and that's that's a really sad thing because what we found out through this pandemic is that actually a lot of the knowledge that we had or what we thought we knew about the transmission of some viruses turns out to be re- really old knowledge and now that we have new technologies we can find out new stuff um and this is a thing that's also been really difficult for people to understand like just today so almost every day I get somebody throwing back at me um you know interviews that I did in January where I said well you know it's, I don't it doesn't look like it would I don't think the virus would play out the same way here as it is in China because there are so many differences and it was like well that was based on what we knew in January which yeah. frankly was full right yeah. I mean so yeah. and and what what I mean I've tried I've had to write about this and in, in that the job of a scientist is to um, evaluate the evidence, and then you change your mind. You know, you 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 adapt to what you yeah, think and, yeah, and stuff absolutely. based on the new evidence. And so, the fact that six months later you'll be yelling at me saying, "But you said it would never do this," is like, well, based on the evidence at the time, that's what we thought, and um, that's science, yeah. right? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And people are really struggling with that. People are really struggling with, but you said this. And it was like, well, based on what we knew at the time, that was right.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and what they're seeing is it's just, you know, this, this is the process that we should always go through. It usually just takes a lot longer than that. <laughs> it's not like, oh my God, yesterday's news is yeah, just completely yeah. wrong now. Um, um, I, it's a little. Very
0: a little um and i think he was nine said to me a friend of mine's little boy said to me the other day and it was a question i couldn't answer him and it was like i was like i'm an adult surely i should know that but he was saying um you know none of us have had kind of colds and coughs because we've all been in our own houses he said do do things like flu viruses are they just everywhere and then so when we leave our houses and we go somewhere and we then start because we all got kind of my toddler got a cold when she went back to daycare and then I got a cold and my husband got a cold he's like are there cold viruses everywhere is that how it is and then you just touch something and then you get a cold because where were they coming from if we were all in our own houses so well they mostly come from other people
1: I guess and there will have been people who were having colds amongst their families and stuff and and we also know that um for a lot of viruses, some people maybe don't have any symptoms, but they can still be you know, carrying them. Um, yeah. And the, and I guess there are some that, depending on what, you know, some that can survive on surfaces for longer periods of time. But the point was that there were people with these things. And the more we started moving around and contacting other people, then the more we started sharing our germs. Because You're even very- though we know how much we're supposed to be washing our hands
0: and yeah, all yeah, of those yeah. kinds of things. <laughs> So I talked about um, when, I, when I interviewed Lorna, like that was mid lockdown and she'd been working literally, her husband said to her, you, you can't continue to do the work that you're doing because you're going to die, Lorna, you're actually going to die. Um, her, her little girl said to her, um, so COVID's like this big white yeti, that's what she had in her head. And, and then when Lorna went to the supermarket, she's like, are you going to see COVID? <laughs> <laughs> like he was hiding behind some shelf. And Lorna was like, Well, it might be in there. That's why we have to wash our hands um, and not touch anything. But she had this massive impression that he was a big white, fluffy character. So there you go. That's apparently that's what COVID looks like. <laughs> and kids know best, right? So <laughs> kids know best. Now finally, before I let you go, um, the biggest Question I've been asking people is how. So your daughter's been around you doing this work for a long time. How did you have? Did you have conversations with her about kind of what was gonna the one the amount of work that you were gonna do, but also just that conversation about what we were going through. How was that? Yeah. Well,
1: well I guess because I've been talking about this and thinking about this since January, um, I've being kind of keeping her up to date I mean she knows a lot about my yeah. <laughs> um but she was very calm um and because I was calm and that was that was a that was a, a big decision that I made very early on was that um there, there are two really important things that that I guess drove the way that I communicated so one was that when we panic we often do things that are not in our best interest. So it's really important that we stay calm. Even when it's really frightening, it's still important that we stay calm. So I tried my best at all times to be calm. And so when I was calm, it turns out that everybody else uh, took on that calmness. I've had lots of people who would, you know, like, journalists and stuff as well, when um, they would phone me up for an interview and I'd say hello. And then they were like, oh, just hearing your voice is calming me down. So um, that was a really, you know, that was a, that was an important thing for us to remain calm. And the other was that, um, that we, uh, that we get through these things by working together. and so that kind of teamwork and that kind of you know we're all going to play our part with was the other sort of strand of how i wanted to to you know think about that we we need to think about others and stuff and so yeah my 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 daughter you know she she was calm as long as i was calm and there was one day um which was the morning that we skyped my parents in the uk so we had i had basically when boris johnson made his speech that said Every family should expect to lose loved ones before their time. I got on to Skype and I said to my mum and dad, you need to start packing your bags because we are going to book you a flight. Yeah. And um, they were like, they completely freaked out. They were like, whoa, <laughs> okay, this is obviously serious, right? Oh, I mean, God, Susie's staying but... it. Right. So, but they, they were for various reasons they said oh can you just give us a couple of days to think and talk about this and stuff and then a couple of days later we scoped them in the morning and they said um look we're not going to come and i just burst into tears and i had to leave the room and i was so upset and i i very rarely get that upset um eve's probably only seen me that upset maybe once or twice uh and 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 the whole family, I mean, my mum and dad, everybody freaked out because they were like, oh my God, if she's freaked out and upset, then this is clearly really, really serious. Um, so yeah, I think that was the only day where she had a real kind of, whoa. <laughs> mum's really worried mum's worried um, oh god yeah.
0: yeah
1: yeah but other than that she knew I mean she knew that I wouldn't be sending her to school I wouldn't be doing anything that I didn't think was safe and yeah. uh, you know or the, uh, you know asking her to behave in a certain way um so she you know she
0: she was fine yeah yeah, yeah. and they are they are Hey, eh? my toddler flipping loved it she's like four weeks with my parents every day <laughs> yippee yeah and i mean we,
1: we were very privileged in that we um you know we have a big enough house yeah. that we could all kind of have our own space I I'm mean quite like <laughs>
0: yeah
1: i mean we we were both very busy because yeah. um he, he was an academic and he was still you know doing everything he needed to do um so yeah it was it was in crazy busy time that, yeah. that, um i'm kind of envious because there were also lots of people who just were like, oh, you know I had a great lockdown i <laughs> I picked up, you know, learned this and did that and got all these new hobbies. And I know,
0: I know. And I, I work in the family violence sector. So we were like, well, basically we were kind of, we're still, um, you know, yeah. w- watching this up and down, up and down of people. Um, and, and every day we'd have to meet with ministry to talk about new policies and procedures and what we were going to do for people. And it was just, yeah, it was up and down, up and down. But everybody just kind of went, this is a job we got to do got to do it got to get it done got to meet every day got to keep talking
1: just yeah what what worries me now is some is where we go to from here because um you know we are in a really privileged position i know for some people it's not going to feel like that um but when you look at what is happening in other countries and how you know many countries have Kind of just given up, and so that that's that's literally means their healthcare workers are going to get ill. The hospitals yeah. are going to be overrun. There really yeah. isn't, you know, this is this is the reality of it. Yeah, lots of people are going to get very unwell. There are going to be lots of deaths, and even those, you know, like I've been getting some emails over the last few days of people who've survived, you know, New Zealand COVID cases who a hundred days later are still actually not well. Right, yeah. they. They still are experiencing symptoms and all sorts of things. And so what, what does that mean, you know, for well, I, us? No,
0: and I didn't, didn't want to... I thought, if I asked you that question, we could be here forever. But it's like, you know, people are in this... My husband's in tourism. so And he's he's like, we have to do what we got to do. And, like, stop throwing this economy thing around. We've got to look after people. Like, it's about people. Um, yeah. But it's like, at some point, we have to... We can't be closed forever, right? I don't know. Yeah, the that's is just the, like- that's the thing. So, so uh, um,
1: quarantine, isolation for 14 days is is the way you keep it out. Yeah. The question yeah. is going to be whether there are smarter things. So, those countries that do a job, a good job, like us you know, the way it's gonna be low risk, those are the places that we can open up to. And so the question will be, at what stage can we do that? You know, what what um, assurances are in place? Because what we've also seen with Australia is how quickly it can get out of control again yeah. Yeah. if you let up the guard. So we need to be really mindful of that. Yeah. And then thinking about being selective about what countries we will have this, um, you know, this, uh, this that kind of arrangement um, with. Iceland at the moment have started to open up to countries in Europe. So there will be countries where, you know, who are doing a really good job and countries that aren't. And so I would really want to watch that. So they're basically the, the what's going to happen in Iceland or what's happening in Iceland is if you turn up in Iceland, you have to kind of pre-register, but you turn up and you can either go straight into 14 days isolation, or you can have a test. And if your test is negative, you can then go on holiday. That to me seems like a, a really, really risky strategy because, well, because you can test you negative.
0: Day three and you can not day... 10 or right. 12 or
1: whatever. Right, exactly. But what we need to do is watch and see whether they, you know, how are they going to stop cases from coming in and turning into outbreaks? You know, how often does that happen based on where travelers are from? Um, and start thinking about, you know, I mean, we, we just need to watch what others are doing yeah. um, and see what we can learn from that because what we don't want to be doing is anything that's going to risk. As ending up being where Melbourne is right now, you know, because it's going to be, it's going to be such a a difficult thing when, you know, again, it puts strain back on our health system, you know, when we start having community transmission again, it means everything, you know, how do you stop it? You stop it by... As you know, those people who've been in contact with people going into isolation, and then it becomes a really different place again, because, you know, I've been going to the cinema a lot. I've been going out for meals. It doesn't feel unsafe, right? You go and you enjoy yourself and you, you know, inject some money into the local economy. If people are starting to be fearful about that being a safe thing, then they won't go out and do those things, you know, and so that again will have an economic hit. So we just need to be, I think we need to watch what's happening yeah. and we do need to do it smartly and we need yeah. to do it thinking about people. I think that's, you know, and yeah. our health. because
0: really Absolutely, important. people first, always, I know. Um, oh, I could talk about this forever, but you know, <laughs> right. Um, are you ready for your quick fire, which is what we always end on? Oh, sure, okay. Okay. Um, were you the type of girl who did your homework On the first day of the school holidays or the last?
1: I don't remember. I used to be very organised, and then I became less and less organised as I got older. Now I'm hopeless. So now I'd be a last day. Maybe when I was younger, I would have been a first day. There's so
0: many of you. Um, What do you do well? Oh, talk. (laughs) I concur. I make very, very good
1: chocolate mousse. I like
0: that one. Uh, Favourite hot beverage?
1: Um, Oh, decaffeinated coffee or hot chocolate. Fair enough.
0: Uh, Hot bath or hot shower?
1: Oh, I do like a hot bath. I don't have them very often, but I'm going to say hot bath.
0: Uh, One concert or gig that you'll never forget?
1: Just one? Um, Oh, oh, gosh. I, that's
0: really hard actually. I trying to think of just that's one. More than one. I'll let you Um
1: I mean I've just I've I I've obviously because of my name, um I've been a big Susie and the Banshees fan for many years yeah. and I always thought that maybe I would never get to see them because, you know, uh they were a band from the like seventies and eighties. Anyway, I got to see them and that was kind of amazing. Um same with I guess lots of the bands that I like that sort of were past their peak by the time I got to see them. And then basically, you know, everybody comes back. So I think probably the most memorable gig was a band called Bauhaus. Yes. And we saw them, I think at Brixton Academy in London. Oh. And it was just the most amazing. Um, they had one thing where the, the stage was lit up by these, um, light bulbs kind of hanging down and as pete murphy was singing he was kind of just moving between the light bulbs and every time he went near one it would turn on and it was just quite magical um can't remember what he was singing but yeah at at the cure i absolutely loved seeing them um oh xx actually they're one of my favorite bands and um i we saw them maybe last year and that was quite magical as well lots of them
0: yeah i remember seeing faith no more in 96 and i lost my shoes. Don't know where they are. I still don't know where they are. They were on, then they were off. Um, that, that would be a good thing. I know. One famous person, alive or dead, who you would have invited into your bubble.
1: Ooh. Alive or dead. Um, oh, I should have thought about these earlier, shouldn't I? Um, Sorry. That's hopeless, the Hopelessly time. unprepared uh, Famous person Who would I have wanted in my bubble I didn't really want anybody else in my bubble to be honest Um enough. Our bubble was
0: just fine as we were totally Fair <laughs> enough um, Something you'd like to learn Oh I would love
1: To learn tereo. Me too. I've just been I've finished an 8 week course Trying to learn my, Like to get my pronunciation uh improved so that is the thing that i would really love to do what else would i love to learn um yeah probably that i think that's my big one uh oh to fly i want to learn to fly a helicopter that's the other one
0: oh that's a good one um <laughs> well one album that you'd listen to for the rest of your life just one you cannot one. keep
1: kind of i'm one of these people that will listen to an album to death yeah. um so at the moment one of my favorites is the beths for a oh, new zealand yeah. band yeah. Yeah. awesome so that's my but if it was probably i think disintegration by the cure
0: good choice good choice yeah um and the last one is <gasps> <sighs> So many things on here. Um favorite bird? Uh I like
1: owls. But I think that's because my mum's always liked owls. Although I also like birds of prey. So which I guess kind of owls are birds of prey. (laughs) Oh, and the last
0: question that somebody asked me when everybody was banging on about not getting their hair done, do you do your own hair?
1: No. No, so
0: um, I do not. Uh, the context is, my friend said to me, everyone was going on about their roots and somebody said to me, what do you reckon Susie's doing right now? Oh my God, I wonder if she does her own or if she goes to a shop and gets
1: it. I have a wonderful hairdresser called Kenji uh, who I have had for the last 10 years and who is actually Lorna's hairdresser as well, I think. Oh, um,
0: yes.
1: Yeah, and so I decided just like when lockdown was kind of announced, I could have gone to Kenji and got a whole bunch of hair dye. So I would have, you know, would have kept the color vibrant, but would have meant the roots were coming through. And I decided, no, that was really, really important for me. It was like some kind of mental thing that my hair was going to reflect what we were going through. So, you know, lockdown would be reflected in my roots and in the pinkness of my hair. And so what I was expecting was for my hair to go more kind of candy flops pink than it actually did. Yeah. Although it ended up being, so I did lots of interviews where everyone was like, your hair's still really bright. And it was actually not quite as bright as it looked on screen. But somehow because of, the, because of Skype and Zoom and the lighting, <laughs> it actually looked much brighter than it was. But my roots were amazing. And when I went back to the hairdresser for the first time after uh, it, we all came out of lockdown, First of all, I walked in and they all kind of applauded, which was hilarious. And they were like, We have been watching you and watching your roots and texting each other about
0: the roots. (laughs) We don't care
1: about COVID. We're just watching your
0: hair. Oh my God, (laughs) that's so.
1: I I saw a a colleague the other day who has decided uh, that he is not going to cut his hair until there's a vaccine. And I was like, wow okay and he's normally a very um he he's a he's a very senior person in one of the universities he's normally very straight laced has got very uh you know just like a normal normal white man's haircut, gray hair and um it was starting to look you know like longish and it's like oh my god you're gonna look like a hippie by the time we get back oh,
0: that is committed Pete, somebody better bloody hurry up <laughs>
1: i just wonder whether he really is gonna keep it or oh whether this God. is just
0: what thinking. hey um thank you so much um and i want you to remember that whenever you hear some shitty idiot <laughs> saying something the whole of new zealand is hugging you um <laughs> right next door to that person um, oh that's lovely and i i'm virtually <laughs> hugging you right now um You're amazing. Thank you. And just tell us what you're going to go and do right now.
1: I'm going to go and finish watching uh, Heroes with uh, my family and I'm going to go and eat chocolate mousse because I made chocolate mousse today.
0: (laughs) Susie, you're a complete legend. Go and have a holiday and uh, enjoy yourself. (laughs) Thank you. We'll talk to you very soon.
1: (laughs) Bye. Bye.